Hey, this is Sally Helm from the History This Week podcast, encouraging you to A-cast your vote in the upcoming election on November 3rd. If you're not sure if you're registered, you can check out vote.org for your voter status and details about how to make sure your voice is heard on election day. And if you're looking to brush up on issues that impact us around the globe, you should have listened to The World This Week. It is a timely look at what's been happening around the world and why it matters. It's available wherever you get your podcasts. Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Fulhamish Podcast, your independent voice of Fulham FC, where we have just watched Fulham, I wouldn't say cruise, but kind of softly wander into the third round of the Carabao Cup where we will face Sheffield Wednesday after beating Ipswich Town 1-0 at Portman Road. My name is Jack Collins and I will be your host today and joining me right now is our stats guru, SW6 Stats himself, Mr George Singer. How are you my friend? Yeah, very good. Thanks mate. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm okay. I'm okay. It's uh, it's been a bit of a wild week, and obviously Fulham back to it in in lightning fashion with two games in the space of five days. But you know we are back in the in in the football season, and, and this is how it's going to be. How have you been? Yeah, very good. Very good. Um, enjoying a few uh, good days of weather over here in England. Bit of time, uh, bit of time at the beach celebrating some friends' birthdays. So yeah, not too bad. How about yourself? Yeah, no, very, very good. Let's um, let's come on to this game. Just before we do so, worth pointing out that following this is going to be a preview of the Leeds game at the weekend, uh, where Don Betts spoke to our friend John McKenzie from All Stats on We podcast. Uh, he's a Leeds fan, and we've done various bits and bobs with him over the past couple of, of years. So uh, enjoyable to get him on the show again. But before we get on to our return to league action, George, we've just beaten... Ipswich 1-0 in the Carabao Cup. What did you make of the game? A quick 60-second synopsis on your thoughts. Yeah, I mean, well, it's one of those when it first comes out and you uh, you take a look at it and it's not that inspiring, maybe. Um, but actually, it's, it's a pretty fun watch. Um, really enjoyed seeing the new guys in action. Um, I thought they all slotted in really well and they all looked pretty sharp. Um, obviously, heard a few uh, comments in... Uh, in the press conferences from Scott about giving them time to bed in, and certainly they were, they all seem to be ticking over quite nicely together, which is good. Um, yeah, I, I think in in general pretty good. In general, the system worked. I mean, there's there's a little bit to talk about in the midfield, but in general things went pretty well. And uh, yeah, certainly nice to see um, see our new right back Tete uh, play pretty well and uh, and get the assist as well. Yeah, well, let's walk through things in that kind of manner. But I think, I guess, the first one is it was very much a, a 4-2-3-1. And we've seen kind of Scott switch between that and the 4-3-3. This looks like the system he's going to be going with, doesn't it? It does. I think after the playoff final, switching to it um, and some of kind of the extra defensive solidity it gives us um, against some of the bigger boys, I, I certainly see us playing that way. Um I'll, I'll be honest, I, I wasn't a fan of the midfield too, uh, in terms of that kind of uh, Lamina and Zambo pivot, um, with two players who are so similar, both being your, your kind of box-to-box, almost kind of Stefan Johansson-esque. We, we got exactly kind of what you'd expect playing two Stefan Johanssons. We got kind of lots of energy, lots of fouls, um, 
bought the ball forward pretty quickly, but you know, it, it really felt we were lacking that that kind of central playmaker. Um, so yeah, a bit of bit of a mixed bag in there. But in reality, when you've got players of the quality of uh, of Zambo and Lamina in midfield, it it you know it, it certainly felt more than enough to uh, to beat Ipswich. Okay, let's walk through some of these debutants. You've mentioned a few of them there, but let's start with with the man between the sticks, Alphonse Ariola, making his first Fulham start. It didn't seem like he had too much to do. No, not at all. Very quiet day for him, which is probably exactly what he would want. Um, The only thing kind of potentially noteworthy a couple of times, he's very comfortable on the ball um, and uh, did a a, a bit of a drag back when being pressed from um, Hawkins up front. And a bit of, if you kind of remember um, what Hugo Lloris tried to do, when uh, Danny Ings came and kind of poached the ball off him, yeah. it was like he was doing that, but he actually he actually managed to keep hold of the ball. Um, I don't know what these uh, what these French keepers learn from each other, but yeah, bit bit of continental flair. So um, so yeah, uh, that that was probably the only noteworthy thing. Not not a huge amount to discuss for the for the new keeper. Yeah, and well, let's roll it on. We'll, uh, we won't we won't delve in too deep on on a man who, who barely had to save any shots. But a uh, left back, obviously Anthony Robinson made his bow, becoming the eleventh first eleventh uh, American, I believe, to pull on the Fulham senior shirt. So congratulations to him for for that accolade. But it is also one of those things where I've seen a lot of praise, and and a couple of people on Twitter then questioning why he was getting any praise. What do you make of his performance? Um, really, really promising. Um, very attacking. Certainly got every time he got the ball, you could tell the first thing you do, control it, get his head up and make moves towards the goal, which was great to see. Um, you know, it, it has been a while since we've really given ourselves, uh, given our fullbacks the opportunity to bomb forward. Uh, and he made the most of it. Um, there was a, a couple of great kind of uh, attacking um, combinations he was part of. Um, one of them was kind of very similar to Joe Bryan's second goal in the playoff final, kind of running into the box and uh, and nearly got a shot off there. Um, I think a couple of his crosses went a little wayward, but considering how much of the ball and how kind of uh, many attacks he helped to coordinate, um, you know, I, I certainly thought it was a, a strong performance. Um, and, you know, really putting Joe Bryan under pressure. Um, Bryan came on a, a bit later on in the game playing right back, strangely enough, but uh, good, strong performance. And, uh, yeah, obviously Scott's got a big decision to make whether to uh, to give him the nod over Joe Bryan uh, at the weekend. Yeah, I mean, flipping, you said there, uh, Joe Bryan played right back, but the man who played mostly at right back was Kenny Tete, uh, marking his debut with an assist. And a lot of people very pleased with, with the amount he played today. Yeah, I think um, although he got the assist, he was probably the more reserved of the fullbacks. Robinson kind of went forward a lot more. Um, Tete looked really kind of really comfortable and composed. Um, obviously, the the caliber of the wingers he was playing against aren't you know it's not Aubameyang, but Edwards and uh, and Dobra, the uh, the attacking midfield from Ipswich, he played pretty well. Um, he kind of nullified them superbly. Looked really composed under pressure, intercepted a few balls as well, which was nice. Um, obviously, a couple of great crosses. Um, we'll come on to the goal in a sec, I imagine. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, one thing's call out, he's got a long throw on him. 
which I was really, uh, really quite pleased to see, actually. It, potentially another option there. He, uh, with a long throw, got it all the way in the box, which isn't something we've seen for a while. Um, and if it's kind of a, another kind of uh, another tool in the toolbox, then I'm yeah. all for that. Yeah, I mean, I think this is what I was expecting from him, you know, to be the more reserved of, of our thought. You, you look at Joe Bryan or Anthony Robinson and you're thinking these are our players who are going to look to get forward. And you only have to look at Joe Bryan's assist record last season to kind of look to see what he, he brings to the table in an offensive sense. I do think that when Kenny Tete came in, I thought... This is a, a man who's comfortable one-on-one. He's not necessarily going to be the man that bombs forward all the time. He's comfortable doing so, as we saw tonight. And as you saw in a couple of those highlight reels that we posted after he was signed, um, very comfortable with a Cruyff turn. But he is, I think, going to be that more reserved as we start to shift our focus down that left-hand side, which does give us you know, something to, to think about going forward. And I mean, if we are going to try and overload, you might think that we will see more of, of Olaina there because that's, that's more of what he brings to the table in a kind of offensive sense. So one to, to bear in mind, I mean, the last debutant you mentioned at the start there as part of that double pivot, but Mario Lamina just seemed very busy, would have been my take. Yeah, definitely. I think of the two, obviously him and Zambo, similar players, but Lamina was the one who was given a bit more of a freedom to run around. So um, he was doing uh, kind of a lot in defence. He would he would quite often kind of run back, split the defenders and make himself available for passes. Um, and then he'd quite often kind of bomb forward and do bits in the uh, in the opposition half as well. So plenty of plenty of legs on the guy, you know, clearly a great engine. Um, a few of the things that he was trying to do didn't kind of quite uh kind of quite come to fruition but I, I don't think that's necessarily you know anything to to be said poorly about him he you know he put in a lot of effort clearly wants to get into the starting 11 um so yeah i mean it's it's one of those i'm not quite sure how they all fit into the lineup but that's that's probably a really good thing you know having the players who having competition for places having different options that we can go go with if different players get injured, you know, it's great to have the options. So, yeah, certainly, uh, I think a really positive, uh, positive debut from him, and I imagine it will be a, it will be a pretty happy man with uh, with how he played. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm not going to walk through every single player in the team, but I am interested, obviously, in, in Maxime Lamarchon, who returned to the team, you know, for the first time in a long time in the starting eleven, and seemed very composed. Now, I know this isn't. Uh, the opposition, the calibre of opposition that we're going to be playing in the Premier League. But just a reminder that Maxime Lamarchand is a good football player, I think. I think he showed um, that he showed kind of the value of having a left-footed centre-back, um, which isn't, you know, something that, you know, there's not a huge amount of them about. Um, it's quite a rare skill being a left-footed centre-back, and it does give us other options when building the play from deep. Um, you know, having a, a variety of kind of footedness across the pitch, it opens up passing options. It helps us get the ball out wide, and I think that's what he did fairly well when uh, when he was, uh, you know, helping to build up play from the back. Um, but I think we also kind of short saw shades of the the MLM, which um, which to be honest, are the reasons why he's not really featured too much in the team. Like he lost a few aerial duels. Um, Hawkins, the um, uh, the Ipswich striker, he's a he's a big lad. He's your classic number nine, and a couple of times uh, he beat Lamarchand in the air, um, and a couple of kind of 
a um, couple of dodgy passes. I mean, there was one poor pass back from him, which Ariola did well, kind of not to uh, not to give away a goal from. So yeah, a, a bit of a mixed bag from Lamarchand, to be to be honest. And it seems like Zambo is starting to win people over again. I know you talked about them as part of the pivot, but he was the more reserved of the two, um, and just. He just seems to tick things along really nicely, doesn't he? Yeah, I'm. To be honest, I'm absolutely thrilled to have him back in the team. Like, I just I love him as a player. I think he's brilliant. I know uh, a few of the other guys in the pod. I know Coops uh, thinks of him the other way, but I, I think he's a he's a superb player. He's um, got that really kind of unique mix of being physically strong, great in the tackle. But he's also so composed on the ball. Um, the ball sticks to him, sticks to his feet. He's kind of got that middle of the pitch dribble, which you know we haven't seen really since kind of Musa Dembele. He used to do a, a really good job of kind of dribbling past the press and and opening up a bit of space there. Um, it's clear that he he was kind of given almost like a, a playmaker role of the two, um, and he he did his best to kind of create some chances from midfield and not everything came off. But, you know, I'm a huge fan of his. And if we can get him in the system which works for him and, you know, put the players around him who who kind of complement his skill set, then I think we've got, a, we've got a hell of a player on our hands there. I completely agree. We'll come on to the goal then. Uh, and just nice for, for me to bring up his, his half century, obviously. Um, but but more than that, it's nice to see him collaborating with with a new signing. Also, just nice for him to get back amongst the goals. Obviously, left out of the weekend, you expect him to play against Leeds. And it's just nice to have him back in goal-scoring form before that game. Yeah, a nice little birthday present for him as well. Um, he he played pretty well all game. I mean, he he's the kind of player who, if, you know, it does look a, a little bit sometimes like he gets isolated, but when he does get those chances, you know, he just bullies defenders and uh, the uh, the Ipswich back two didn't really have a have a clue of how to deal with him, poor guys. Um, you know, he the the cross that came in, it was a really kind of it was a really nice cross. And it wasn't the only time Tete did that. He he pulled in a similar cross a bit later on in the game, which Mitrovic came very close to to doubling his uh, his tally. Um but yeah, certainly really great to see Mitro play the ninety. Um, I think it's an interesting one because we've kind of heard that um, Parker didn't play Mitrovic because he wanted to kind of protect him and it, it wasn't necessarily needed against Arsenal, you know, a team we'd probably struggle to play against anyway. So it does kind of ask the question of, OK, why why kind of keep him on the bench against Arsenal? But given the full 90 here, not quite sure what, what Scott's trying to do there. But um, assuming that he's, he's making the right moves... Um, he's back in form and hopefully he can uh, he can get another one against Leeds at the weekend. All right then, George. Final question is basically what lessons does Scott Park have to learn out of this for Leeds? What changes do you expect to see to the eleven that started against Arsenal? And, and, and kind of what next? Because a lot of these players, I think, people weren't necessarily expecting to see. I don't think there were too many people expecting to see Mitrovic in the side tonight, expecting to see maybe Anthony Nockar, who'd been mooted as a returner, you know, next is considering how ineffective both wingers were against Arsenal. So what, what, do, what do we learn and how do you set up against Leeds now that we've seen tonight's events? 
Yeah, so uh, there's there's a couple of kind of obvious subs that come in. You know, Lamarchon isn't going to play. You know, Michael Hector is going to come back in. Um, whether or not he goes Reem or Adoy, it's it's up to Scott. Um, and yeah, I'm personally like really not a fan of Anthony Knockart. I thought again tonight he was just at his wasteful worst. Just I think like four or five shots, all from great positions, which he um, he just kind of snapped at um, and he could have made far better decisions with that. So I think there's a few obvious uh, subs to make. Um, I think for me, the, the big one is is that midfield and finding the balance in midfield. Um, I certainly think Lamina and Zambo are both wonderful players and uh, it, I, I, I struggle to see a way that you can play both of them. So I think you pick one. Um, and then I think you need you need kind of more of that playmaker in the middle who can help things tick over both you know transitioning from both in the transitions you know to quickly move into counter-attacks and also build up slowly um and they don't have the skill set for that um Deckard over Reed worked really hard pressed really hard but again not quite sure that he has that skill set so I think the key one for Scott and I think the, the Leeds game is is going to be a really big challenge and one that realistically we need to we need to get some points from. I think the yeah. challenge is going to be how he picks a midfield three, which complements each other, stifle Leeds attack, but also give us the right keys to unlock their defence. Um, so yeah, that that for me I think is going to be the big one. How he can find the winning formula in midfield to. Uh, to, you know, to best leads in, in what's going to be a, a pretty tough game up up north. Yeah, for sure. Well, let's get Leeds' perspective on it. Hi, I'm Rachel Thomas, CEO of LeanIn.org and host of Tilted, a Lean In podcast, urging you to A-cast your vote in the upcoming election on November 3rd. Not sure you're registered? Check out Vote.org for your voter status and details on how to make sure your voice is heard on election day. And if you're looking to brush up on the issues, you should give Vote the podcast a listen. Andrea Haley and Kat Calvin, executive directors of Vote.org, and Spread the Vote answer all your voting questions. And it's available wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome back to the Fulhamish podcast. My name is Don Betts and joining me to look ahead to Saturday's big match against Leeds United at Eden Road is, of course, John McKenzie from All Stats, aren't we? How are you doing, John? Hey mate, how are you? I'm doing really well. You're not too bad. Great to have sort of the football back, although it does feel a bit early, you know, and there's just plenty of games in this September to talk about. So if we sort of take our minds back to when we last spoke, was obviously ahead of our game at Ellen Road in the Championship, you know, second game after lockdown, we just lost 2-0 to Brentford and we were looking to bounce back and then, you know, obviously everyone knows what happened, ended the 3-0 victory to Leeds United. Fulham actually had a very good first half in that game, really. And then the second half is when, uh, obviously, you tore us to shreds. Do you think something changed in Leeds post-lockdown? Because they were doing very well before coronavirus obviously stopped the season. They sort of just seemed to step up another gear once the uh, once the football returned. Actually, I think when we came back from, from lockdown, we were already coming in off the back of five, five wins in a row, which um, had, we had looked quite convincing in after a, a mid-season blip uh, and so I think that the way that I read the season anyway was was uh, very, very much we we sort of powered on home after that um, mid-season blip 
after the lockdown uh, originally the first the first game obviously was that loss to Cardiff and then we had a draw with Luton that were that was fairly disappointing and it, it meant that the um the final run in was maybe a little bit tighter than we'd wanted obviously Brentford were snapping at our heels as well but i think in the in the long run you know we sort of, we were the i think the strongest team in post lockdown football in the championship pretty much and um yeah i th- i think we we sort of just rode home on the fact that we we put put a lot of the the things behind us from last season or the season before last, I suppose I should say now, um, that had really haunted us. And um, I think from that point onwards, we we just sort of got the job done in quite a, I thought, professional manner. Do you think that's where Bielsa came in clutch, really, obviously through all his experience to get you guys over the line? I think so. Um, in terms of last the, the season when we fell away right at the end, I'm still of the opinion that you know, that was a, a bit more of a psychological breakdown. We had a lot of players who had not been in that sort of position before. We had a squad who'd largely been finishing 13th in the championship before that. And suddenly they were in with this chance of being in the Premier League if they could win four games in a row at the end of the season. And in the end, they only got one point from those four games. So I think Bielsa was obviously important in terms of he, he turned the squad around. He got them playing the sort of football that they could uh, play to get promoted uh, but I do think there was there was certainly something that had to happen that um, at, at least on the side of the players themselves they had to go through that um, that blip mid-season and be like come on we're, we're, we're making this into too much of a thing we are putting up underlying numbers that are good enough for us to be winning these games and I think that there was just a sort of collective moment in the squad where they're like we're not going to let this happen again and once they realized that you know we were good enough to to have that run towards the end of the season it really came home I think so uh, I yeah I think obviously Bielsa is the the root cause of everything that's good at Leeds but um, I do think that a certain amount of respect has to go to the players as well for being able to turn that about. Do you think it was sort of last chance saloon for Leeds last season to get promoted? Because obviously it probably wouldn't have been likely that Marcelo Bielsa would have stayed beyond last season if Leeds failed to gain promotion. And obviously, you know, we don't we don't know what would happen to this Leeds United squad and how they'd play without Marcelo Bielsa at the helm. Do you think that, as I said, it, it, it they had to go up last season? I think so, yeah. I think obviously owners and, uh, and chairman and directors of football are all judged on results and off the back of that I think the reason why a lot of fans are quite positive about Andrea Radrizzani and Victor Orta at the moment is because we are in the Premier League and I have a sneaking suspicion that you know as I said before everything that's good about this club comes from Marcelo Bielsa so it's very hard to judge just how far the club has come without taking into account that as soon as Marcelo Bielsa goes that's going to be the point at which we know how good leads actually are and um as you've said you know yes it was a last chance saloon to get into the premier league under bielsa but if bielsa leaves at the end of this season for whatever reason then where does that leave leads as well because as i've said this is a squad that's overperformed it's also a very very thin squad um and a lot is made of marcelo bielsa liking a small squad and so I think that we'll have a sort of mini crisis moment whenever Bielsa goes in the same way that um, Arsenal and and United did after Wenger and uh, Alex Ferguson left respectively because, be- because Bielsa is so controlling of all aspects of the club that as soon as that falls apart, then uh, yeah, there's no sense in where we'll actually be. So I think it's, um, it's an interesting question and, and it's not one that I look forward to seeing the answer to really. 
So we look ahead to this season. You spoke about your thin score. We look, we look at some of the transfer business you've done. Obviously, you made Helder Costa permanent from Wolves, a bit like we did with the likes of Knockout and Cavalero. You obviously brought Rodrigo in for big money of £27 million from Valencia. You got Robin Koch from Freiburg, who obviously made his debut uh, against Liverpool when he started. You also had Elan Meslier, the keeper. And then you got Joe Gelhart in from Wigan, as long as getting Jack Harrison in on a lo- another loan deal. If you look at the transfer business so far, obviously, everyone look at, at the Rodrigo signing. Do you think? There's actually any other signings in there will actually end up being maybe maybe not a better sign, but maybe more important. Yeah, well, there's a lot of noise around Rodrigo de Paul at Udinese um, at the moment. Beyond that, I think we'll, we'll be looking at a centre back as well. I think largely our recruitment's been fine. Rodrigo is an interesting one. I mean, personally, I would rather we'd spent the money on someone younger. I think I would have preferred someone like Ollie Watkins, not because I think that Ollie Watkins would present us with a better striker in the here and now although I think it's probably close but Ollie Watkins is young Rodrigo is 29 he's uh, had injury he had 10 injuries in the last two seasons he's had um, knee injuries that are, are serious and so there's always that worry that you know you spend all that money on one player and then all it takes is one busted knee and that's that really um so, yeah, I think our, I don't know, our, our transfer strategies mean largely fine. To be honest, I think the, be- the best side of our transfer strategy has been bringing in young players. So we brought in Sam Greenwood from Arsenal. We brought in Cody Drame from you guys who I watched um, midweek this week and he looks absolutely fantastic. So um, there's a lot of smart recruitment going on in our under-23s. But um, as for the, the senior squad, I think a lot of it sort of comes down to Andrea Redrizzani wanting to make big money and big status purchases um, and I think it remains to be seen how successful they will be. If we're looking ahead as, in, as before the Liverpool game started obviously do you think it's actually more the media who are getting more carried away about Leeds United's potential season than actually you fans are because a lot of the Leeds fans I spoke to are like yeah we'll just snap your hand off 17th place right now. Yeah I don't think I'm particularly representative of Leeds fans in many respects but I do think that a lot of Leeds fans are maybe a little bit more circumspect circumspect about what the season is going to look like I would snap your hand off for 17th that's for, for me the bar that we're aiming at and it's really hard to, to judge how the season is going to go off the back of a result against Liverpool where we actually came away and lost I think we were quite lucky in many respects we hugely overperformed our expected goals and Liverpool probably could have created a few more dangerous chances than they did it was good to see us going out there and creating chances and um, causing problems for Liverpool. I would rather be in that boat than the boat that I think both Fulham and West Brom were in, which is that they just didn't create enough chances at all. But I think it would be disingenuous of me to suggest that Leeds aren't going to or are going to have a, an easy ride of it this season. And um, I think a lot of it will come down to performances in games like the Fulham game rather than performances in games like the Liverpool game so at this point I want to see a few more games under our bonnet before I'm happy saying that the Leeds will be roughly fine in the Premier League but um, there are some Leeds fans who think we're going to easily finish top half but I am not amongst those fans. So if we look back to your game on the weekend against Liverpool crazy game I mean when the goals were just going in left right and centre I think everyone really had a clue what was going on so if obviously it was you, you scored three goals away at Anfield. I mean, that's that's a that's a feat in itself against this Liverpool side. But was the some of the defensive frailties shown was it was it a worry to you, or do you think it's just how good Liverpool's attack really is? Defensively Leeds play an interesting system and a lot will be made of it in the next few months as pundits 
slowly catch up with what's actually going on. But we play a man-marking orientated system, uh, which means that our players get touched tight pretty much to uh, opposition players in defensive phases. And um, we have a, a spare player at the back who sort of covers up for any mistakes. And so sometimes it can look a little bit frenetic um, when when players are sort of covering for other players. Uh, but largely, I thought we did a good job. We kept Liverpool to around one XG from open play. They relied on set pieces to beat us. Um, I'm sure I'm sure they did enough to beat us anyway from open play. But you know, keeping Liverpool to around a goal um, in terms of chance quality in Anfield after you know three years of them being unbeaten there is is fairly impressive. I think so. I'm not too worried about the defensive side of things. Um, uh, not not to mention the fact that, you know, as you said, Robin Koch was having his debut. Uh, Pascal Strauch is is not our starting centre-back. So we, we were in a sort of fairly interesting situation anyway when it comes to the centre-back situation. But I'm not too worried about the defensive side of things. It's, for me, I will be happier if we go to, if we have Fulham and uh, Sheffield United and we put up decent XG figures against them. That's That's kind of what I'm worried about in the long run, really. Yeah, so obviously, yeah, guys. I think from a neutral watching that Liverpool game, it, it just it was obviously end to end. But if you if you analyse sort of the Leeds performance, I think one thing you could say was that wasn't like West Brom and ourselves really. I mean, we didn't create much in the first place, but you could you could definitely see how clinical this Leeds sides were. Maybe maybe may not like every single game, but definitely if they're going to play the big teams and try to get points at them, you would you would say it was a very clinical attacking performance from Leeds's front line. Yeah. I and, and I think that that's the worry, right? Because the big thing about Leeds last season was that we weren't clinical, um, apart from in games where maybe we were under the cosh a little bit. So you mentioned the the three nil win against Fulham, and you had you guys had a good good half, but we came out with the goal in that first half, and um, that was again, I think maybe not against the run of play because I think it was a different kind of game, but it makes a big difference, I think, when Leeds play as as the underdogs. I think maybe the the psychological burden of having to come out and win every game against teams who are sitting back is a hard one to bear but I think Leeds do seem to thrive under this sort of underdog status where you know they're going to try and take every chance that they get when they know that there's not many coming so it'll be interesting to see how that works itself out over the season but I mean we're talking about a team with Patrick Bamford with a historically poor um, return on his expected goals this season. So it's it's one of those things where I'm not entirely sure which way it will go. Maybe this is just an outlier or maybe there is something in, in that underdog status that I've talked about where um, Leeds actually thrive under these sorts of um, these sorts of conditions. So if obviously you look, you look at the team you played against Liverpool, obviously you have your cup game against Hull City. Do you think it's going to be a different lineup when you take on Fulham on Saturday? Yeah, I think the only potential change we'll see really will be... Well, I think Cooper will probably come in if he's well, if he will, if he's fit. Um, I, I've no idea about his fitness at this point in time. Um, I suspect he he will be brought in because he only failed a late fitness test on um, on Saturday against Liverpool. So I, I I expect he'll be in. the The only other question I would have is maybe Hernandez. Um, it will be interesting to see what happens with him. Um, he he had a largely, I mean, it wasn't a game where he was going to thrive in. So I suspect he'll probably still be playing as well. But um, it'll be interesting to see whether or not he's started or whether or not he's brought in off the bench. Um, but I think we'll we'll be largely unchanged. Yeah, I don't I don't see anything um, different there. 
Do you think, look, look, I know it's, it's second game in the season, it's very tough to sort of analyse where both teams are going to end up this season. I know it's fairly obvious to Fulham fans that we're going to be, if we were, we were definitely fighting in a relegation battle and, you know, Leeds probably will, but they could potentially finish higher. Who who, who knows really if with the capabilities of Marcelo Bielsa. But do you think already, second game into the season, this maybe not a must win for us, but it's definitely a must win for you guys? I think it's definitely a game that both teams will want to win because, um, you know, it's we we all know that there's not going to be a huge amount of points available to us. I mean, if, if you if you if you take the opinion that the top six are sort of like bonus fixtures where you take whatever you can get, you're looking at a very specific small mini league of 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 points available. And I guess for us, like Fulham at home is on paper one of the easiest fixtures we'll have all season. Now, don't make don't read me wrong there because you know Fulham were a tough side for us last season you know it's it's not like we go into this one being like well you know this is easy tick this one off I also think that Scott Parker for for all of the criticism that that he gets and the criticism that I've given him is an he's a, he's a good manager in terms of uh, off the ball football um, and this is something that I've written in my tactical preview um, which will be out in a few days time it's that he's actually quite an interesting guy in terms of his out of, out of possession football it's it's on the ball that Fulham to me don't look that dangerous and um, you know as you've said in the in the 3-0 win that Leeds had Ellen Road last time round off the ball you caused us all kinds of problems in the first half and it was just it was just lucky finishing really that that got us through that game not lucky finishing but you know taking our chances so I think this this is a game that worries me because I think you know you 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 come into the game out of the back of a of a good result in scare quotes against Liverpool and you go into the Fulham game and if you if you take no points out of this game and then you go on to Sheffield United and you know that's a that's a tough fixture no one is going to make any bones about that and then we go into Manchester City um after that and so you you're looking at a situation where you know if if things don't go the way that you want them to do and i think there's every possibility that that could happen you're looking at no points out of four games and so I, I, I see this as being an important game, not just simply because you see it as a six-pointer, right? It's, it's obviously a relegation, potentially a relegation um, battle-changing fixture. Um, but it's also, for me, a, a momentum issue as well. Like if you're looking at the places you're going to get points from, you, you and you're not, and you don't manage it against um, a team like Fulham or someone equally for Fulham against someone like Leeds, then you're, you're suddenly starting to think, well when are we going to get off the ground and running is this going to be an uphill battle whereas you know if if we did manage to get the win at the weekend and then got a point against Sheffield United I'd be I'd be sort of a lot more comfortable and sort of um uh, see us sort of look looking at having a bit of a buffer zone between us and other teams I, I think the best chance that Leeds have of, of doing okay this season is to have a good first half of the season and then maybe ride that points total home to to the end of the the season um I think will cause teams a lot of problems early on in the season because no one will be used to playing us um and and then I think perhaps towards the second half of the season there will be that sort of sense of quote-unquote figuring us out uh whatever that looks like but um for me the the first half of the season is is quite important and I think the as I've said those first four fixtures um are, are tricky ones and and will give us a much better sense I think of what the season is going to look like at the end of those four fixtures for for Leeds anyway so obviously you know we know whenever Fulham seems to play Leeds where it has been in championship bar the 3-0 victory for yourselves at Ellen Road it's always been a fairly close fixture but if you if you analyze in the way uh, Leeds played away at Anfield last week where would you say is maybe Leeds weaknesses or the weak the, the weak areas 
areas that maybe Scott Parker will be looking to target? Yeah, that's an interesting question because I think in many respects that game won't be very indicative of what will happen in the in the game at the weekend. Leeds really didn't get much time or um, space on the ball at all against Liverpool and our build-up play was actually largely quite poor, I thought. Um and for all of the for all the good stuff that we did um, against Fulham, against Fulham, look, I've said already. You know, I I think that Fulham will do a good job of causing us problems in possession. So I think it will be hard work for us again there. Um, the thing it, the thing with Fulham, I suppose, is that is that um, with with your in possession phases, you just look very ponderous to me, and you don't create really incisive um, attacking movements and you sort of try and work the ball into wide areas and get it to your striker um and you know sometimes it it sort of looks to me like you would probably be better off just even being more direct given the strikers that you have um so in terms of weaknesses i guess i guess i don't know how how parker will approach this and i think this is why it's an interesting game right do you fulham played quite a different formation um I thought this against Arsenal last weekend. Um, you played Kearney as very, very deep and narrow with Reed. I, I suspect to give just a little bit more defensive cover. And then you played a really interesting sort of four-two-two-two formation out of possession with with Onoma and uh, Kamara quite close together, and the two wide players narrowed as well. And you pressed Arsenal quite well, I thought, um, for large parts of the game. Um, I don't think you'll do that against Leeds because um, because I don't think Leeds's structure really works with that with that um, out of possession system from Fulham. So I think the question is, do you go back to the four three three that you used last season? Um, and if you do, um, I think you should. I mean, I think you should go into this game like you went into the game against uh, Leeds at Ellen Road last time, and and hope that Leeds don't have unnaturally good finishing for them um, because I think had. We not finish. Bamford gets that chance at the end of the edge of the box in the first half and puts it in. Had we not done that, I think we would probably have laboured in the rest of the game. So I think I think Fulham and Parker will come at this and probably approach it very similarly to the way that they approached the last trip to Ellen Road and just hope that the run of the green goes their way. So for one last question, as always, John, can I push you for a score prediction? I'm nervous about this game because of, of all the reasons that I mentioned that I think Fulham do cause us problems in possession, and um, you know you have elite players who can if they finish well and we don't, you know, could be the difference between winning and losing. I'm going to have to say we're going to win, but I think it's going to be a tetchy affair. I think it's going to be quite tight. So I'll go 2-1 to us. Well, thank you very much, Don Betts. And thank you very much to John McKenzie of the All Stats Aren't We podcast. Let's hope that things go well for us at Elland Road on the weekend and not so well for John's Leeds United or his beloved Marcelo Bielsa. All that's left for me to do really is to name this podcast and I throw you back to Mr George Singer. What are you you calling it? I think we're going to go with uh, Jared Sagar on uh, on Twitter with Off Mitro's Tete. Very good. Very, very good. You can't really argue with that. We had some excellent ones. I really enjoyed Elijah's flip the Ipswich, to be fair to him. Um, But Off Mitro's Tete just works, doesn't it? Just works. Well, Thank you very much, Mr. George Singer. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for having me on, mate. Uh, I've been Jack Collins. This has been the Fulham's Podcast. We'll be back after Leeds United to see how we get on at Elland Road in their first game at home back in the Premier League, obviously behind closed doors. And without those fans singing marching on together, you'd be sorry for them if it wasn't Leeds. We'll speak to you next time. Take care. Bye-bye.
ACAST powers some of the world's best podcasts. Here's a show we recommend. This spooky season, have a listen to Let's Talk About Myths, baby! A podcast about Greek mythology that tells it honestly and often with a lot of gore, at least when it comes to these spooky season episodes. Every week in October, I have released a new episode with various levels of spooky in Greek mythology. There are ancient stories of haunted houses, ghosts, werewolves, general tragedy, and even a very bloody tree. Greek mythology has a little something for everyone, especially when it comes to spooky season. So listen to Let's Talk About Myths, baby, every week, wherever you get your podcasts. ACAST, A-cast, A-cast, A-cast recommends. recommends.